Amen. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for who you've been for us in our lives, always being by our side, loving us in an unimaginable way. Father, as we open up the text this morning, um, uh, calm our minds and open our ears and hearts to uh, hear you speak to us so that we know uh, more about you and deepen our relationship, but also uh, know how we can live for you, what that means for us in our lives and how we can be a walking, talking testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for us in our own lives. Father, right at this moment, hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, and my redeemer, in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1 here this morning. Um, have you met somebody in the past and or maybe you've met them before and you see them again and and you're having this great conversation and one of the ways that you, you show that, that you care about somebody is using their name throughout the conversation, right? Because people like to hear the sound of their own name and, 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 and it endears people to you when, you when you do that with them. And so you think you're having this great conversation and you, you go to somebody else and you say, man, I just had a wonderful conversation with John and, and we talked about this, that, and the third. And the person's like, who's John? Like, John, the guy, the guy over there, it's like, his name is not John. Well, I've been calling him John for the past 30 minutes, and he never corrected me. Well, his name is Steve. Uh, oops, my bad. What started out is trying to do something good. You're trying to connect with this person, but all the while, you were confused. The whole time you never really got that you, you didn't understand who the person was. You, either, either you mixed up the names or you thought it was a totally different person altogether. What if somebody did that to you? Has that happened to anybody here in the room? If people mistaken you for somebody else, I have that happen all the time. And it's weird. I, I guess I have a face that's familiar. People would stop me. Oh, you look just like my cousin. You look just like my nephew. And and whatever, or some people would stop me and start having a conversation. I'm like, I don't think they know who, they don't know who I am. I don't know who you are, but we're having this conversation anyway. You come to find out they thought I was, I was somebody completely different. How does that feel? Like, I mean, you want to have some grace and you don't want to call people out and embarrass them sometimes. Like, hey, my, my name is not John. <laughs> I don't think you, you don't think you know me. But sometimes we go along with it. Sometimes it is appropriate for us to step in and say, well, let's time out for a second. I'm, let me reintroduce myself or something like that. But if, if somebody misunderstands who you are, that diminishes you, right? You, you want to connect with people. You want them to understand who you are. And, and likewise, you want to understand other people. You don't, you don't want to embarrass them by calling them somebody who they're not, or thinking they're somebody who they aren't. But interestingly enough, we do this with God all the time. We either misunderstand who God is or think he's somebody completely different from who he says he is. And how do you think God feels about that? 
It's like, you don't even know me. You, you're having this conversation, but it's not me who you're talking to. You're saying all these things about me, but that's not who I am and what I say about myself in my word. That's what God is saying. And we got out, get out and try to talk to people about who God is and what he says and, and completely misconstrue everything. What if somebody did that to you? What, what if somebody said, you know, you know, Tim's a great scholar and he just loves to talk about philosophy all the time. And Tim would be like, philosopher who? And he would think, wait a minute, you don't even know me. You're making this stuff up. You might want me to be this person, but that's not who I am. But we do that with God all the time. Fortunately for us, when we come to Christ, he still, he still loves us, he still blesses us. And this morning we're going to talk about when we come to him and really get to know him and, and, and submit our lives to him, how, how he does that. And he gives us a new freedom. He gives us a, a new mindset. He gives us a new life. So the catch is for us to understand who God is and be grateful for what he's given us. Romans chapter 8, here in this chapter, um, what we see throughout is um, Paul talking about the spirit. The, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and he repeats this word uh, 21 times. It's really important to Paul, so it ought to be really important to us as well. And as we talk about God, as we talk about the Trinity, the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is where we tend to get tangled up and to misunderstand who God is and his role for us in our lives. Paul wants to emphasize the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So here in uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says, There is therefore, wait a minute, what do we do? There is therefore now, wait a minute, what, the therefore is... What is therefore, therefore, right? So we need to stop, we need to pause, we need to ask the question, what is Paul about to say? And what he's about to say extends on what he's already said. So we need to go back a little bit and understand. Paul wants us to remember what he was talking about earlier. So in a nutshell, we get a brief refresher from Romans chapter 7, verse 6 where it says, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That's from Romans 7 and 6 to give us a brief refresher about what he's going into in chapter 8. So as believers, we're made new. We have a new way in the Spirit. We have a new life. And with this new life, uh, God also gives us some new privileges. And with, with this, um, these, these privileges are something that we need to be aware of so that we can uh, remind ourselves. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, I can get down on myself. And I need to remind myself of what God has done in my own life. Uh, the four new privileges. First, one of the first new, new privilege is that we have a new freedom. Romans eight and one, we'll read it together again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
since Christ has intervened, intervened in redemptive history, um, the verdict of our judgment was guilty, but because of Christ now is not guilty. Jesus came and took the penalty on your behalf. He paid the price that you was meant for you to pay, and there is now no more condemnation. What would that mean to you if you were on death row right now? If the judge came and said, you're now no longer guilty. There is now no longer any condemnation. How would that feel? Knowing that you had this life sentence in front of you on death row and it's been taken away. How excited would you be? How much joy would you have? When you have a new lease on life, you're no longer behind bars. Now you can go out in freedom and live the life that you've always wanted to live because of the graciousness of that one judge. Without Jesus, there will be no hope for us. Instead, by God's grace, we're declared not guilty and he offers us freedom from sin and the power to do his will through Christ. The reality is the entire human race is on death row and condemned for continually breaking God's law. That's what we have in front of us, but God. Until we meet Christ, until we submit our lives to him, then we are redeemed, then we are forgiven, then we have hope. As salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit who does what the law could not do, and he gives us life. The same Holy Spirit who was present at the creation of the world in Genesis 1 and 2 is as the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Isn't that incredible? That, that, that from the foundation of the world, the Holy Spirit was there. He is also the power behind the rebirth of every Christian. He gives power. Uh, he gives the power that we need to live this Christian life. You could try to do it on your own, but you're not going to be successful. We have the Holy Spirit is guiding us and molding us, shaping us, helping us to do what we ought to. Now, there's a lot of conversations these days about pronouns and where we use what pronouns where. The important note is, uh, that we should get here is when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a force, but a personal being. In the Greek, every pronoun, uh, every time we use the, the, the pronoun pneuma, remember we talked about that, and uh, when it's used in reference to the Holy Spirit, the pronoun is always he. When we look at it in the New Testament, it's not it. But people, again, misunderstand who the Holy Spirit is. And when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they talk about him as if it is a force, as if it was an it. Why does it matter? Because God is, is describing who he is for us so that we can get it right. We can really and truly honestly understand and know who he is. And as we look at the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, 
is, is important for us to get that and understand. It's important because the Greek word pneuma itself is not masculine or feminine. So in a normal case, if it was about a force, then it would use the pronoun it. But the writers intentionally always use the masculine, masculine pronouns when referring to the Holy Spirit to ensure that we understand that he is a person. We also understand that the Holy Spirit is the third person of what we call the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hey, Pastor, Trinity is not in the Bible. I know that. <laughs> Trinity is a word that we use to describe how uh, God has uh, uh, told us about himself. And he, he continuously does this and explains uh, these three persons, but one God. And we just happen to call that Trinity. So if anybody stops you and it's like, hey, the Trinity is not a thing. It's not even in the Bible. Uh, neither are chairs in the Bible. But we, we know that that exists. Um, the, the, the Bible says as we talk about uh, the Holy Spirit being a person, um, it helps us to clear this up and understand what this looks like. It, the Bible tells us that we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the last day of redemption. We're also told not to sin against the Holy Spirit, um, but they who rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. That is Isaiah 63 and 10. We are not to lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 and 3, um, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And we are to obey him. Acts 10 and 19 says, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Paul went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And finally, we are to honor him. Uh, Psalm 51, 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So uh, looking at these verses and understanding uh, that we're not how we're supposed to act and react to and with the Holy Spirit, that it, it is hard to argue the, that there is not a personality, there's not a person that we're dealing with. The, the, the Holy Spirit empowers people, he guides, he comforts, he convicts, he teaches, and he gives commands. This is important for us to get as we continue to, 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 to drive into and understand who God is and, and develop our relationship with him. Here our text, we're, we're told that he has uh, freed us from the law and sin and death and that uh, we, we talked about this last week in Romans 7 and 7 uh, through 25 last week, how he freed us from death and sin. And since we have been justified through faith in Christ, we don't have to fear judgment anymore. Uh, Paul says here, there is now no condemnation. This harkens back to Romans 5 and 1. It says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It puts us uh, more in a positive note. 
He tells us what, what is good. And here in, in eight, he's like, I want you to get this, but I'm going to put it uh, a different way. I'm going to put it in a negative way. There is now no condemnation. Remember this when Satan tries to lead you astray. I want you to remember this when Satan tries to bring up your past. I want you to remind yourself of, of what Paul is saying to you here in chapter eight, verse one. There is now no condemnation. The evil one is going to try to come and, and talk to you about how, how bad you are and how you don't deserve anything and you're good for nothing. He's right, but because of Jesus Christ, we, we are, have been made righteous. And that's what I want you to remember. Remind yourself about who you are in Christ. Tell yourself there is no condemnation. Not even a little bit. Not not. Uh, uh, even a, a, a sparkle or, or a smidgen, there is no condemnation. There is zero. This message is not that Jesus paid a little bit or Jesus paid most of it. No, Jesus paid it all. That is the message that we have in Christ and having the gospel. The enemy would have you to believe that Jesus paid 90% of it or 95% and you got to inch yourself the rest of the way. He wants to hang these things over your head. Remember that thing? Remember that time? Oh, I don't know if Jesus' blood covered that. I mean, you did that even after you were saved. Sound familiar? But even knowing all those things, Jesus still paid it all. Christ has already taken your place and has already paid the price for you. Satan has no hold. Satan has no claim on your life. You owe him nothing. Nothing. And don't forget who's writing this, by the way. The Apostle Paul is, is writing this. It's like Paul went into uh, witness protection and changed his name. We used to know him as Saul. Remember Saul? The, the one who was in charge of persecuting the church, the one who oversaw the death of Stephen. You talk about a heavy burden. He knows what it's like. He did the, the, one of the worst things that you can ever think or dream of. But here, even he can say, now I understand because of who Jesus Christ is, I'm no longer condemned. I mean, he's shouting this from the rooftops and as well, we should be as well of how good this, this message is. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life was changed forever. He was no longer the same. He understood firsthand what Jesus did for him and he didn't walk around feeling guilty. I mean, this is such a stark change that, that the, the disciples, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Like, wait a minute, just yesterday, this guy was killing us. Now you're saying he believes in Jesus? I don't know about that. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. And Barnabas took him to the side like, hey, let's, let's work on this. He took him and discipled him and got him ready. God sent him on a mission to the Gentiles. Man, if it can happen for him, there's hope for me. There's hope for you. Of all the things that that Jesus has done and how he used them. Brothers and sisters, you should be encouraged because you are not your past. Jesus has called you a child of God and you are free from sin. 
Look with me in Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sin, sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Whatever law that you live by determines whether you live for victory or you live for defeat. You see, the law of sin uh, and death has this, this gravitational pull. I mean, it, I don't know about you, but I just find it, we talked about last week, this, this tug, of, tug of war that we can feel in our own body, in our own flesh, this gravitational pull that the, the law and sin has on our lives. And no matter how you try to jump, no matter how fast you try to run, it seems like it's just pulling you back down. It seems like you just can't get away from it. There's, there's no way to, to transcend it. But on the other hand, the law of the Spirit overrides this gravity. The law of Spirit sets you free in a way that uh, we couldn't imagine. Uh, think of it this way. When you get on a plane and it gets into the air, you know, the, the law of aerodynamics works out at that point, right? The, the gravity still exists, but the aerodynamics transcend the gravity. It works in such a way where it's not continuously pulling the plane down and you're able to get from one place to another through the air. In the same way, the, the, spirit, uh, the Spirit's law transcends the law of sin so that sin doesn't control the agenda. Sin is not continuously pulling you down, but the law of the Spirit transcends it. So in the Spirit, we have this, this new freedom. That's the first thing I want you to get here in our text. We have this new freedom, but we also, the Spirit uh, has this new mindset for us. I want to be careful here because there's a lot of new age talk and conversation that talks about mindset and uh, it could get pretty foo-foo and out there talking about uh, creating things out of your mind and speaking it to existence and all this other kind of jazz, but that's not what, I'm, what we're talking about here this morning. Um, but our mindset does have a, a draw. It can uh, lead us down the wrong path if we're not careful. Think about when, even when you drive. You know, you need to look to where you're going. You need to have your focus on the road ahead. If you're looking all around, you're bound to drive off the road. If you're going in a curve, you want to be looking into the curve for where you're going. Because if you don't, then you're going you're gonna to miss it. You're going to keep going straight, go the other way or whatever have you. When we have our mindset on something that's telling us where we're going, that's looking into the curve of where we're going and where we need to be. So this mindset of thinking about what is, what is good, what is right. Romans, 5, or Romans 8 and 5 it says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things that are of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So instead of looking the wrong way, focus on our flesh, focus on things that are, are not good for us, that, that are not obedient to God. We need to focus on the Spirit. We need to 
focus on God. Like if you're watching TV, I mean, you can't watch two things at the same time usually. I mean, you can talk about picture in picture, but you're, you're not listening and absorbing each of those shows at the same time. You got to be focused in on one thing or the other. You can't watch two TV shows. You can't listen to two different radio stations at the same time. It, it doesn't work. It, it, you try as hard as you might, but you won't get anything out of it. You have to focus your attention. And so when you think about the TV of your mind, you got to have focus. There's so many things that are coming at us through, through television and uh, music and, and even people in your own circle that are uh, against God or, or send you down the wrong path. So you got to combat it. You got to focus your attention on who God is and what he has for you in your life. You can tune in uh, to the TV of your mind. You can tune into uh, the flesh, which is death, or you can tune in to the spirit, which gives you life. And we have this choice every moment of every day. Christians have a new mind with a new attitude, new orientation, a new pattern of thinking, new affections. Just think about what you're consuming on a day-by-day basis. Think about where your mind is and where, what you're focused on and ask yourself, am I focusing on life-giving things or am I focused on death and destruction? This is why I encourage you to read your Bible and spend time in prayer. Now, how do you know what to focus on if you don't know God, if you're not spending time with him in your Bible, if you're not spending time with him in prayer? How do you know? How do you know what's life-giving? How do you tell the, the counterfeit from what is true unless you're spending time with him in your Bible, unless you're spending time with him in prayer? There is no way for you to know. You might think you're doing good. You might think you're doing the, the right thing, but it could be death. So we have this new freedom. We have this new mindset. We also have this new indwelling presence in our lives. Look at me in verse 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This harkens back to Romans 10 and 9. is because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's the first part of our journey, our walk with Christ, but that's not the end. Uh, Baptists, sometimes we get it wrong and, we say, okay, they, they believe in Jesus. We baptize them. We're good to go. He's, he's done. She's done. No, that's, that's when the work begins. That's when the work starts. We got to walk with them in uh, discipleship and help them to grow in their relationship. When, when life comes at them fast and furious, we have to help them understand uh, how God would have them to respond to those things in their lives. That's something that we need to do a better job at. But once 
we submit our lives to Christ, and if we call ourselves Christians, if we've submitted our lives to him, um, if these things are all true, then the Holy Spirit is taking up residence and indwells in you. It gives you life and you're no longer the walking dead. Can I blow your mind real quick? I want, I want you to, to think about this. The, the same Holy Spirit that, that rose Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that indwells in you right now. The same Holy Spirit that uh, uh, was, was there from the, the foundation of the world and the creation of the earth it's the same Holy Spirit that now indwells in you today. How incredible is that? And if the Holy Spirit could, could uh, 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 make Christ rise from the grave, what do you think he could do with you? What do you think he could do with you when, when you have problems or issues in, in your life? When you be between a rock and a hard place, what do you think the, the Holy Spirit can, can do with you? That same Holy Spirit will rise you up one day and give you a transformed body as well. Uh, a body, by the way, there will be no more aches and pains. Who wants to sign up for that? Who wants the renewed body? That's what we have to look forward to. That's what we get through the Holy Spirit and his work in us. All right, so we have a, a new freedom. We have a, a new mindset. We have a new indwelling presence. But we also have a new obligation. Stay with me. I, don't, I know people don't like the word obligation. Are you going to tell me to do something too? Well, stick with me just for a minute. Uh, verse 12, where it says, So then, brothers, uh, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you're in Christ, you do have a responsibility. Um, like with anything in life, privileges come with responsibility. So the good thing is that we're not obligated to the flesh. We're not obligated to sin. We're, like I said before, we're not obligated to Satan. Fortunately, we're obligated to God. We're ob obligated to the Holy Spirit who gives life. Our obligation is to him, and we are to live according to his desires. You remember in Exodus when the Israelites, they were headed to the promised land. They had just been re released from Pharaoh. Well, not really released, but he begrudgingly uh, let them go so that they can worship and they're out in the wilderness. They're taking these walks. They got manna falling from heaven. They got everything they can need or want. They're like, you know what? I'm tired of this manna. It needs more salt. I need cheese or something. I need something. Man, this manna. I need something else. You know what? We have some good food in Egypt. Maybe we should go back. Man, we had places to, we had places to stay, places to lay our heads. And yeah, the work was kind of hard, but we should go back. We had a lot better. Now, to us, having hindsight, and we're reading through this, I hope when you read through this, you're like, they are crazy. What do you mean go back to Egypt? How, how could you forget 
all the things that they did to you? How can you forget what God did to you, the miracles that he performed right in front of your face and you want to go back? Come on now. We can look at this and see it, but you look at your own life. You look at your own life and see, well, oh, yeah, God did a lot of things for me, but, you know, before I, I mean, I used to kick it and have fun with my friends, going out to clubs and doing this, doing that. Man, I kind of missed that. Maybe I want to go back. That should seem equally crazy, right? For us to think that we want to go back and do this. Paul puts it plainly and says, if you live by the flesh, you will die. That's, that's what it is. So he's like, don't go back to Egypt. What you have right now is far better than anything that you had in the past, far better than anything you can dream of or imagine. Don't go back. Read these passages, man. We just, we think about it all the time, but we got to look at what God has done for us. Look at how God has cared for you. Look at how he's provided for you. How could you go back? But here's the hard part. We need to put to death the deeds of the body. He says, look, you've got to be aware of what the sin is and and what it's doing in your life. You've got to look out for it and, and realize what's going on. says, if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live to the spirit and, and if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the hard part. These things continuously come up for us and we got to be aware of what's going on so we don't succumb. In his book, Mortification of Sin, John Owen talks about this very passage. And in the book, he says, you need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. He says, you need to be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Oh, man, that makes me shake in my bones. Jesus said, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's how serious sin is in our lives. We can't be messing around. We try to soften little things and tell it's a little white lie or it's a little thing here. I'm not hurting anybody. Sin is sin and it will kill you. It does kill you. Too many people want to play around with sin instead of putting it, putting it to death. Messing around, see how close they get to the line. And people ask these questions, well, um, uh, can I do this or is this thing a, a sin or how, how close can I get to, to doing this thing before I sin? Why do you want to get close? It makes me think of these lion tamers. People go around and make the lions and tigers and animals do all these tricks and stuff and jump over hoops and, or jump through hoops. I guess they jump over hoops too. But they go in and mess around with these animals and, and open their mouth wide and put their head inside. And you're like, not me. 
And then when there's an accident, you're like, I don't know what happened. I don't know why the, the lion snapped like that. The lion is doing what he does. The lion, you're, you're flirting and playing with this, this lion that can rip you apart. How dare you play with something like that? But here we are with sin in the same way, messing around, then we're going to get our head bit off. Stop playing with sin. Stop messing around. This is not something to play around with. It's not something that, that you should get as close to as, as possible without getting taken because it's a slippery slope. You know what that means? You, you start going down and you just slide right into it. I don't want that for you. If temptation comes through what you see, what you handle, or what you visit, then you need to be ruthless and not looking. You need to be ruthless and not touching. You need to be ruthless and not going. It's funny, I did a lot of crazy stuff in college, but there are some things like I don't even trust myself to do this. I, I, I just need to stay at home because I know if I get out with everybody else, I'm a, I'm a mess up. I, didn't even, I just didn't trust myself. And surely people come back and all the stories and all the things, and man, the Lord was there that helped me out. People getting arrested and doing everything, other things, and like, man, praise God I wasn't there. <laughs> praise God that you helped me to be obedient. It was hard. I wanted to go have fun like everybody else, but uh, it could have turned out really bad. So if we get our mind set right and we focus on Jesus, we set our, 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 our sights on and our heart on what is above, you think about what is good, you think about what's pure, you think about what is loving, and then you say no to sin and yes to God. I'm not saying it's easy. It's simple, but it ain't easy. This is something we have to continuously be mindful of and be fervent about. That's why this body of believers is so important for us. Uh, another word people don't like is accountability. But when you have somebody with you, you say, hey man, I'm struggling with these things in my life. I need some help. And that person is there for you, there with you, not to chastise you, but to say, I know you don't really want to be doing these things. And I know how this gravitational pull of sin is on your life. I'm here to help. I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to pray with you. That's worth a lot more than you saying, I don't want people in my business. Because not having people in your business gets you caught up on the slippery slope. So we have a new freedom. We have a new mindset. We have a new and dwelling presence in us. We've got a new obligation. And finally, we have a new identity. Look with me in verse 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit, uh, Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with the Spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God, 
and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Put simply, we have been adopted into God's royal family and all the, the rights and privileges of a natural born child. That is amazing. Galatians uh, 4 and 6 puts it this way, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of, of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is significant, and it resonated with the, the hearers of this because in Roman culture, an adopted person, they lost all the rights to their old family, and they, they put on the new rights to this new family. It was like the, you were blood-born. Here, you belong to us now. They became a full heir to the new father's estate. In the same way, when you become a Christian, you gain all the, the privileges and responsibilities of a child in God's family. Like you're natural born. Again, you are not your past. All that stuff has gone away. God has come and, and he's adopted you in, into his family. And now you have all the rights and responsibilities that comes with it. Your identity has nothing to do with your performance, your popularity, or your pedigree. You can't earn it. This adoption is a free gift that's ordained by our Heavenly Father and is purchased by the Son and applied in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this literally changes everything. Every other so-called religion tells you to do more, to work harder on your own. Do it, put yourself up by your bootstraps. Christianity says it's done. You've been forgiven. It's been taken care of. As a matter of fact, not, not, not only has Christ paid the price on your, your behalf, but now you, are, uh, uh, you get the inheritance that comes with it as a child of God. We, we see a lot of TV shows these days of these uh, trust fund people who inherit a lot of money and things. And man, they just, they take advantage, don't they? They're like, mommy and daddy works hard for all these things so I can get this expensive car on my 16th birthday. I heard a guy say, well, I wanted a BMW, you got me this Mercedes. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. I had to drive that to, to school every day. But when you look at the inheritance that we have from God, man, we should be taking advantage. We should be excited about who he is and how much he has loved us. So I, I don't want you to take this just as head knowledge. I want you to understand and see all this so that it changes your heart. I want it to be uh, something that, that not only changes your heart, but shapes how you live your life. That informs all the decisions that you make. That, that it, it helps you to, to, to build and bridge relationships because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. 
this is not a, a passive thing that we do. There's no, no such thing as a passive Christian. There's only active Christians. When we're excited about stuff, you don't have to tell us to do something. You don't have to tell us to go tell somebody. I want you to be excited about Christ and what he's done for you in your life. I want you to be so passionate about what he's done for you that you can't help but tell somebody. Whoever would stand to hear it, that you would go and tell them about Jesus. About how he lived a life that you couldn't. Before Christ, we were all condemned. We're all on death row. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. For that, we should thank God. And the least we could do is be obedient. As he changes our heart, he changes our thoughts, changes our minds. We should want to do what pleases him. And understand that doing those things and being in that way, it, it gives us life. It brings life instead of death. So if you're here today or you're here online and you have questions about what it looks like for you to live this life that Jesus has for you, how, how uh, would this look for you in everyday life? How do you live this out? How do you authentically live out your faith? I would love to have that conversation with you. And maybe you submitted your life to Christ and you just have gone astray. I'm like, man, I just... I got caught up. This, this gravitational pull of sin has been pulling me down. I need some help. I would love to be able to pray with you and walk with you through those challenges and situations. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you. Thank you for all the things that you've given us, the things that we didn't, would never have known to ask for. Help us to see how we can live out your word here today, that we have the renewal of our mind and we focus on what is good, pure, and loving. Help us to understand that we uh, are not alone and are dwelled by the Holy Spirit and how he continues to shape us and mold us, gives us a conscience and convicts us, help us to be obedient to those things as we feel it and hear it. And Father, help us to live our lives so that people might know that we're different because of who you are in our lives. And they ask us, what must I do to be saved? And that you could give us courage enough to share exactly who you are and what you've done for us in our lives and how that same gift is available to them so that they might know the name of Jesus. They might be able to walk with you and and be able to share with others. Father, we thank you so much in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.